أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما نافعا اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ربي اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to the Reflections on the Risale-i Nur by Bedi-Uzzaman Said Nursi podcast series This is Mustafa Tuna you can listen to the episodes of the series wherever you listen to your podcasts or at the website www.reflections-rn.org. In this episode, inshallah, we will continue reading the 27th word or rather the addendum of the 27th word. The 27th word as those who have been listening to these podcasts uh, will remember is about ijtihad. It is about doing one's utmost in order to come closer to what pleases God in passing a judgment about an affair that we are faced with based on the scripture, based on the Quran and the prophetic traditions, and also taking into consideration the evaluations, inferences, deductions of other scholars, other Muslims who have lived before us because they have also made an effort to come close or closer to what what pleases God and we alone cannot stand here in a prideful way thinking that we alone are the ones who can infer that and they were not able to and the 27th word was primarily about the possibility of ijtihad in our times and Ustad Nursi said that the gates of ijtihad are not closed, they are open. It is possible. However, there are conditions that one has to meet in order to go through those gates and it is very difficult, if not impossible, for a person living in our times to attain those conditions. And we will not go into the details of that. Those who are curious may go and listen to the other episodes of the 27th word if, you, if they have not already done so. Now, the addendum is about the primacy and superiority of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ over all other human beings with the exception of prophets and messengers. And one may ask, why is a treatise about the superiority of the companions is added to the end of a treatise about ijtihad? And the answer is easy. The companions are the essential chain in the transmission of the scripture to us and also in teaching us how to interpret the scripture. The source of ijtihad, the source where we learn what pleases our Lord is the Quran and the prophetic traditions and the, the example of the Prophet But how do we know about them? How do we know about the Quran? How do we know about the traditions of the Prophet And how do we know how to relate them to one another? How do we know how the Prophet interpreted it? 
and how do we know what to do with them so that is where the companions are our masters our first teachers our first guides to the quran and to the prophet both because they transmitted and because they taught us how to read them how to interpret them how to put them into action so we read through two of the causes of the superiority of the companions over all other people and today inshallah we will continue reading the third cause bismillah üçüncü sebep the third cause on ikinci ve 24. ve 25. sözlerde ispat edildiği gibi nübüvvetin velayete nispeti güneşin aynı zatıyla aynelerde görülen güneşin misali gibidir as it has been proven in the 12th 24th and 25th words the comparison of prophethood to sainthood is like the comparison of the sun itself with its similitudes as seen in mirrors inshallah we will come to the point where we will read the 12th the 24th and 25th words too very briefly what Ustad Nursi is referring to here is a comparison of revelation with inspiration or prophethood with sainthood everybody in fact everything receives inspiration ilham is the word that we are referring to in arabic everybody and in fact everything receives inspiration god inspires to the bee to make honey god inspires to our hearts various things and then we can receive we receive inspiration or rather thoughts from angels from satans etc so we are referring to the divine inspiration here and the divine inspiration that comes to the hearts of any human being or saints now how do we compare that to revelation that the prophet received the the analogy that Ustatnursi gives to us is the sun itself and the images of the sun reflecting through mirrors imagine that we are in a room there are no windows all closed but we know that there is sun out there that is that is more or less like our existence in this in this material world by the way we are in a room no windows it's all closed but we know that there must be light somewhere imagine somebody finding a hole on the wall and taking a mirror and extending his hand through the hole outside the wall and bringing a reflection of the sun with the mirror reflecting some of the light of the sun into the room that is inspiration revelation on the other hand prophethood on the other hand is that this person opens a huge hole on the ceiling and brings the light of the sun directly into the room this is the difference in the first one the quality of the mirror the cleanness of the mirror the shape of the mirror the color of the mirror the angle of the mirror all of those are are restrictions in the way that the light of the sun comes into the room whereas in the second one when we open this hole on the ceiling the light is coming directly into the room and there is no restriction so the comparison of prophethood and sainthood is like this prophets are like 
like like skylights the light of the sun goes through them directly they do not modify the light they do not refract the light they just pass it 100% transparency whereas saints they reflect the light they reflect divine light and we are talking about true saints we are not talking about people who somehow purify their lower souls or attain faculties that give them access to some aspect of the material world the created realm that is not accessible to most other people so we are not talking about psychics etc we are talking about saints saints are like mirrors that, that reflect the divine light and it is divine light but the the size the quality the cleanness the shape the color the angle etc of the mirror all matter whereas in the case of prophets السلام, may peace be on all of them it is like like the skylight it is completely transparent as it has been proven in the 12th 24th 25th words the comparison of prophethood to sainthood is like the comparison of the sun itself with its similitudes as seen in mirrors. İşte daire-i nübüvvet daire-i velayetten ne kadar yüksek ise daire-i nübüvvetin hademeleri ve o güneşin yıldızları olan sahabeler dahi daire-i velayetteki sulahaya o derece tefevvuku olmak lazım geliyor. So However much higher the circle of prophethood is in comparison to the circle of sainthood. So we are going to imagine this as circles where uh, places where people gather. Like prophets are gathering in a, in a, in a particular circle, in a, at a certain station. That's where they are. If you think of this as halls in a palace, the hall in this huge palace the hall that is dedicated to the prophets that's that's what we are going to call the circle of prophets and then there are other halls that are dedicated to saints where saints can gather and talk and be however much higher the circle of prophethood is in comparison to the circle of sainthood it entails that the companions who are the servants of the circle of prophethood. So they are not prophets, but they are servants of the circle of prophethood. And therefore they have access to that circle where the prophets are. They are benefiting from the prophets directly. They are benefiting from the affluence, the virtues, the blessings of that circle directly. However much higher the circle of prophethood is in comparison to the circle of sainthood, it entails that the companions who are the servants of the circle of prophethood and the stars of that sun will exceed the righteous in the circle of sainthood to that extent. Those who are in the circle of sainthood, the righteous among them, there are others that may perhaps even not be comparable but we are talking about the righteous in the circle of sainthood even the top top layer of the circle of sainthood the companions will still be superior to them to the extent that the circle of prophethood is superior to the circle of sainthood to the extent that that mirror that is reflecting some of the light of the sun into the room 
is inferior to the skylight that directly brings the light into the room. Hatta velayeti kübra olan veraseti nübüvvet ve sıddıkiyet ki sahabelerin velayetidir. Bir veli kazansa yine saffı evvel olan sahabelerin makamına yetişmez. So much so that even if a saint attains to prophetic inheritorship and veracity, which is the rank of sainthood among the companions. So there is a definition that Ustad Nursi makes for us. He is defining the word veracity nubuvvet, inheritorship of the prophet or prophetic inheritorship. What is inherited from the prophet and siddiqiyet, veracity. This was the station of, as we commonly know, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, the first among the companions of the Prophet wasallam, the first caliph, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. So that is sainthood among the companions. Among all other people, when we say sainthood, we, see, we mean something particular, something that makes them special. The sainthood that the companions attained, that is veraset nubuwa and siddiqiyya, that is prophetic inheritorship and veracity. So, even if a saint attains to prophetic inheritorship and veracity, because that's possible for, for a saint too, for a person who is not a companion of the prophet, it is possible to attain prophetic inheritorship and veracity. Uwais al-Qarani, for instance, we know that he uh, he, we, we consider him as the first among the Tabi'un, the generation that came after the companions. And we know that he is a, an inheritor of the Prophet He has prophetic inheritorship. And there are other people who attain the station of Siddiqiyya. So one way to define the station of Siddiqiyya, the veracity is that a person does not see the causes anymore and, and relates everything directly to God. The way Abu Bakr al-Siddiq attained this, as we all, hopefully, as we all know, is after the miracle of the prophetic ascension, Miraj, after the Prophet ﷺ was taken from uh, Mecca to Jerusalem on, in one night and then ascended through the heavens and was shown the entire creation and was taken to the presence of God and came back and he said this to the people of Mecca, they, they started to make fun of him saying that now he says that he went to the heavens and they went to Abu Bakr and they said, your companion, your friend, now is saying that he ascended the heavens. What do you say? And he said, if he said, that's true. He did not hesitate. He was so certain about the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, And also, he did not see any problem in this. God is the causer of all causes. And if we think in the within the box of the material world that we live in, that somebody is going to ascend the heavens may sound weird, but if you get out of that box and relate everything to the Creator, He created the heavens, He created the earth. What's the problem? There is no problem. So, even if a saint who comes after the companions attains to that station, prophetic inheritorship and veracity, even then, he cannot reach the rank of the companions who hold the first line 
if we imagine the entire uh, community of Muslims, the entire Ummah, like a congregation standing behind the Prophet the companions occupied the first line and that is the most virtuous. And especially if we think of this in a way where there would be no speakers, no amplifiers in the congregation. What happens in that case is that those who stand behind the Imam repeat after the Imam. The Imam says Allahu Akbar. Those who stand behind the Imam or one of them says Allahu Akbar and the voice travels a bit further and then somebody hears it and they say Allahu Akbar. The voice travels a bit further and then somebody hears it and says Allahu Akbar and the voice travels a bit further. So the voice of the Imam is transmitted from the Imam's position to the first line, to the next line, to the lines thereafter. The companions occupy the first line. They are those who are standing before God right after the Prophet and they are also the transmitters, which means that even if a saint were to attain the rank of sainthood that is peculiar to the companions, even then he would owe part of what he attained to the companions. And therefore, even a saint of this station cannot reach the rank of the companions. Şu üçüncü sebebin müteaddit vücuhundan üç vecihini beyan ederiz. We will explain three among several aspects of this third cause. First aspect. Birinci vecih. First aspect. İçtihadda, yani istinbat ahkamda, yani Cenab-ı Hakk'ın marziyatını kelamından anlamakta, Sahabelere yetişilmez. So these uh, three aspects are going to be that we cannot reach the companions in ijtihad, in understanding what pleases God. We cannot reach the companions in closeness to God. And the third is that we cannot, uh, we cannot reach the companions in the virtues of our deeds. İçtihatta yani istinbat ahkamda yani Cenab-ı Hakk'ın marziyatını kelamından anlamakta sahabelere yetişilmez. The companions cannot be reached in ijtihad. That is in the inference of rulings. That is understanding what pleases the Almighty real God from his words. Once again remember that this is an addendum to the treatise on ijtihad. And Üstad Nursi here is saying that we cannot reach the level of ijtihad, the level in which they came close to what pleases God, the method, the style, the way they did ijtihad that brought them closest to what pleases God. We cannot reach them in that because they were the ones, and of course, Ustad Nurse is going to explain this in a better way. This just came to my heart. They were the ones who were there witnessing the revelation at the, as the revelation came down and they were the ones who were there listening to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam we are we are addressed by the revelation through a through sound or signs on a piece of paper we read the quran we are looking at signs on a piece of paper they were looking at the face of the Prophet as they were receiving revelation. We hear it from some scholar, some human being 
ordinary human being or even not ordinary a very accomplished scholar but they were hearing it from the mouth of the prophet they were hearing it in the context as the prophet explained it to them and that is the source of our ijtihad that is the source that we take a look at read carefully try to understand and infer our rulings the rulings that regulate our lives we cannot reach them in ijtihad çünkü o zamandaki o büyük inkılab-ı ilahi marziyat-ı rabbaniyeyi ve ahkam-ı ilahiyeyi anlamak üzere dönerdi because the divine revolution of their time took place and revolved around understanding divine rulings and what pleases the Lord. It was a time of revolution. It was a time in which all words, all actions acquired a new life, acquired a new meaning, and everything fell together, fit together. It was so fresh, so green, so, if you will, tasty that they were just taken by it they were taken by it with their entire existence everything revolved around understanding the divine rulings when they went out of their house they wanted to see the prophet they wanted to hear if there was new revelation they wanted to know if their lord gifted them with new wisdom when they did something and if they did not know what is what is it that comes closer to what pleases god in, with regard to that particular affair they were eager to know it they were eager to learn about it sometimes you will hear people saying you know let me not hear this let me not study this let me not learn this because if i learn it i will not be responsible for it no, this was not like them. They were not like, let me avoid hearing this ruling because if I hear it, I'm going to be responsible for it. No, they were like, let me hear it because I want to please my Lord. I want to know what pleases my Lord. That is the goal for me. Bütün ezhan istinbat ahkamı mütevecihidi. All minds had turned to the inference of rulings. Bütün kalpler Rabbimizin biz, bizden istediği nedir diye merak ederdi. All hearts eagerly wondered, what does our Lord want from us? What does our Lord want from us? They wanted to know it because they wanted to please their Lord. They did not want to it, know it because, you know, if I don't do this, I might go to hell. I better do this. No, they wanted to please their Lord. Ahvali zaman bu hali işmam ve ihsas edecek bir tarzda cereyan ediyordu. The circumstances of that time evolved in a way that would prompt and inspire this situation, this eagerness. Muhaverat bu manaları tazammun ederek vuku buluyordu. Conversations, exchanges took place in a way that would entail, that would uh, yield these meanings. İşte bunun için her şey ve her hal 
ve muhavereler ve sohbetler ve hikayeler bütün o manaları bir derece ders verecek bir tarzda cereyan ettiğinden, sahabenin istidadını tekmil ve fikirlerini temvir ettiğinden, içtihad ve istinbatta istidadı kibrit derecesinde nurlanmaya hazır olduğundan, bir günde veya bir ayda kazandığı mertebe istinbat ve içtihadı o sahabenin dereceyi zekavetinde ve istidadında olan bir adam şu zamanda 10 senede belki 100 senede kazanmayacaktır. So because of this, because everything, all circumstances, all exchanges, all conversations and the narration of stories took place in a way that would teach those meanings, the meanings of what pleases our Lord. To some extent, and everything to some extent, but everything is turned in that direction. Because they perfected the aptitudes and illuminated the ideas of the companions, everything is directed focusing on what pleases God and therefore everything perfects the aptitudes and illuminates the ideas of the companions. Because their aptitudes in ijtihad and inference deducing Uh, rulings from the scripture were ready to be ignited and become illuminated like sulfur on a matchstick. Imagine a matchstick, you rub it against you know some rough surface and, and as soon as you rub it, immediately it becomes, it bursts in fire, right? bursts in light. Their aptitudes in ijtihad and inference were ready to be ignited, to burst into light. The capacity for ijtihad and inference that they attained because of all of these reasons, the capacity for ijtihad and inference that they attained in a day or a month cannot be attained in 10 years. In fact, a hundred years by a man living at this time who has the same level of intelligence and aptitude as those companions. There were companions who would come to the Prophet from distant places distant distant places days travel months travel they would spend perhaps a day perhaps a, a few hours perhaps a week perhaps a month with the prophet وسلم, and then he would send them back to their communities to to teach them about islam and they would go and they would succeed in this they knew there was something miraculous there was something miraculous in that interaction in that exchange in that exposure to the prophet and and in the presence of the companions anhum, may god be pleased with all of them in the presence of the companions before the prophet and the community that emerged from this the friendships the circumstances the relations the interactions, the society, the conversations, everything, everything was directed toward it. Çünkü şimdi saadeti ebediyeye bedel, saadeti dünyeviye medar nazardır. Now, we cannot reach their aptitude, we cannot reach their rank in ijtihad and inference, even if we are equally intelligent. We cannot do it. Why? Because at this time, in the time that we are living in, instead of eternal felicity, 
Worldly felicity is the focus of attention. Worldly felicity, worldly happiness, worldly gratification, instant gratification. People talk about delayed gratification and what they mean is that you don't give candy to a child today but you tell the child to wait until tomorrow and you give it tomorrow. I would say a better definition of instant gratification is gratification in this world and we all seek it. It's not completely wrong but it becomes wrong if it comes in the expense of us forgetting delayed gratification, gratification in the hereafter. It, it becomes harmful if, if, if it comes in the expense of us forgetting the true nature of the world that we live in. Forgetting that it is just a demo. It is just an exhibit for the real thing. And if we start to think that this is the real thing and therefore lose the real thing. At this time, instead of eternal felicity, worldly felicity is the focus of attention. That's what everybody is talking about. That is where all the money is being invested in. Think about the entertainment industry. Think about medicine. Think about politics. Think about the race for money. Think about the whole idea of development and progress. How it is measured, almost always measured in material terms. And when it is not measured in material terms, it is measured in terms of worldly happiness. That is improvement over measuring everything in terms of worldly attainment, worldly benefit. Uh, some years before this, maybe 20 years before this, there was a, an economist who got the Nobel Prize because he introduced the concept of happiness into economy. And he... Uh, initiated something called happiness studies. So economists started to look at not only the material worth of what people are acquiring, but at what level of happiness what they acquire bring to them. However, even in that case, this is about instant gratification, happiness in this world. How about my hereafter? How about my hereafter? You are giving me everything here. You are you are spoon-feeding entertainment to me and you are making my brain burst. The neurons on my, in my brain burst with joy. You are giving me all the hormones that make me feel like I'm happy and achieving and so on and so forth. You are enabling me to, to produce more of um, happiness and success and achievement, ho achievement hormones. But what does that mean in the end? It will come to an end. I will lose this brain. I will lose all those hormones. I'm going to lose all those neurons. What does it all mean? If it does not last, if it does not lead me to eternal happiness, eternal felicity, at this time, instead of eternal felicity, worldly felicity is the focus of attention. That's a fact. That's where we live. And we may say, this is not right. I want to think about eternal felicity. I may stand here in front of a microphone and keep complaining about the world that we live in. But at the end of the day, I am a part of it. 
the companions were not a part of it. They were part of something else that was a revolutionary moment in which all attention had turned to eternal felicity. And therefore we cannot reach them. Our priorities are messed up. Their priorities were set right. Beşerin nazarı dikkati başka maksatlara müteveccihtir. The attention and sight of the humankind has turned toward other objectives. Tevekkülsüzlük içinde derdi maişet, ruha sersemlik ve felsefeyi tabiye ve maddiye akla körlük verdiğinden, beşerin muhit içtimaisi, o şahsın zihnine ve istidadına, içtihat hususunda kuvvet vermediği gibi teşeddüt veriyor, dağıtıyor. Since concerns over livelihood without reliance in God stupefy the spirit. And the naturalist and materialist philosophy blind the intellect. The human social environment not only does not strengthen the mind and aptitude of a person with regard to ijtihad, but also distracts them and scatters their attention around. Since concerns over livelihood without reliance in God stupefy the spirit. One who has reliance in God, but I'm talking about true reliance in God. One who is able to put his entire trust in God does not worry about livelihood. Will I earn enough money to pay my rent next month? Will I earn enough money to bring food to the house next week? Will I have enough health to go to that vacation? Will I have enough money to send my children to college? Will I have enough money to buy that car that I really want next year? One who relies in God does not worry about any of these questions. First of all, will I live until tomorrow? Second, he guaranteed, he guaranteed provision. I will have enough provision to continue my livelihood regardless. Does this mean that I should just lie down and not, not do anything? No. He also tasked me with the responsibility of working to get it, to get what he guaranteed. However, he guaranteed my job is not to procure it, to get it from where it is. He is the one who procures. If I leave what I am responsible with and try to do what he took on himself, first, I will be casting as Persian on his promise. And two, I will be trying to attain something for which I have no power and, and waddling, waddling in the mud all my life. But this is what we do. This is what we do and therefore our spirits are stupefied. They they are bewildered. They don't know where to go. They don't see light. They When they see light, they don't recognize it. When they recognize, they don't have the capacity, the power to turn toward it and move toward it. And also since the naturalist and materialist philosophy blind the intellect, what does that mean? We go to school from very early on. We start to learn 
rain falls from the sky and water seeps through earth and takes minerals to the trees and because of this the tree develops its cells light comes from the sun and chlorophyll absorbs that light and takes carbon from the air and synthesize it in this way and that way and therefore light causes the the growth of the tree i drop the apple and the apple falls because the earth pulls the apple i am sick i go take medicine and the medicine heals me i am hungry i eat a sandwich and the sandwich satiate, satiates me this is a pattern of thought. This is a cognitive pattern that is set in our minds from a very early age on. And you know what? It is wrong. The sandwich does not satiate me. The water does not quench my thirst. The pill does not heal me. The sun, the, the sunlight does not enable the tree to grow. The water does not carry the minerals to the tree. None of that happens. The earth does not pull the apple. All of that is an, is an illusion. And we think that the illusion is the real thing. God is the causer of all causes. God quenches my thirst. And this is a world of testing and trial. This is the world of wisdom. In this world, everything appears in a sequence of events that we interpret as causes and effects. And therefore, God creates the sense of quenching with the water going into my stomach. God creates the earth with the apple that is falling. What we think of as natural laws are actually God's custom. The ways in which God repeatedly does things. And there's a wisdom in that. And that's another subject of discussion. It's one of the lengthiest subjects of discussion that we can go through. And inshallah, we will go through. However, the point here is that this is how our minds are set. When, and when I tell you the water that I drink does not quench me. The sandwich that I eat does not satiate me. It is God who satiates me. For most of us, for most of us, there is some level of, some level of hesitation in accepting this as truth. Why? Because our intellects are blinded to, to reality as reality is. Because this is what we have been taught all through and through and through. And that's a big problem that's a big problem and because of this problem the human social environment not only does not strengthen the mind and aptitude of a person with regard to ishtihad right our spirits are stupefied over the concern over livelihood our intellects are blinded and as a result the human social environment that does all of this and born out of this not only does not strengthen the mind and aptitude of a person with regard to ishtihad, but also distracts them and scatters their attention all around. What pleases my Lord? 
I have the sandwich in front of me and there is some material that is suspicious in it with regard to whether it is halal or not. What pleases my Lord? Will I eat the sandwich because it will satiate me? Or will I not eat the sandwich because that might be more pleasing to my Lord and I'll go hungry? For the companions, this was not a question. Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, for instance, one day somebody brought him food and he ate it. I mean, it was halal food um, in appearance. So it was not from a forbidden substance. It was not pork meat. It was not uh, beef that was slaughtered in a way that would not be halal. In appearance, the substance was halal. Whatever it was, it may not be meat. It, it, it may be vegetable. He ate it. And then the person who brought it told him that he actually earned this food because of some kind of illegitimate activity, some kind of illegitimate service that he had provided before becoming Muslim. I think it was sorcery. I'm not sure about the entire narration. It's, it was probably sorcery. He had done sorcery and earned money and this was because he had become Muslim and at this point he goes and asks for the compensation of what he had done before and gets it and brings it to Abu Bakr radiallahu anh and Abu Bakr radiallahu anh eats. He did not know that it was not halal before eating but now he knows. Abu Bakr radiallahu anh gets up, takes some warm water and forces himself to throw it up now, put aside the torture of forcing oneself to throw up. Once he threw up, he was hungry again. So the choice is, do I eat this thing? Or do I keep this thing that I had already eaten without knowledge of it? And therefore, perhaps I won't have responsibility for it. But perhaps, that's important. They do not want to have room for perhaps. What we live on and around, perhapses. Do I throw it up and keep going hungry or do I just keep it? That wasn't a question for Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. Things were crystal clear. If it pleases my Lord, I do it. If it angers my Lord, I don't do it. If there is some suspicion whether it will please my Lord or not, I stay away from it. If there is a possibility that it will please my Lord, I do it. It was crystal clear. 27. sözün ictihad bahsinde Sufyan İbni Uyeyne ile onun zekaveti derecesinde birinin muvazenesinde ispat etmişiz ki Süfyan'ın 10 senede kazandığını öteki 100 senede kazanamıyor. We have proven in the discussion of ictihad in the 27th word where Sufyan İbni Uyeyne and someone with the same level of intelligence that he had are compared that we have proven there that what Sufyan attained in 10 years, the other person cannot attain in a hundred years. So those who listen to the um, episodes about uh, the 27th word or those who read the 27th word will remember this discussion. Sufyan ibn Uyayna is a, uh, an Islamic scholar of the third generation of Muslims, that is the generation that comes uh, after the followers of the companions 
and that is they rank in virtue too the companions come first the followers tabion come next and the followers of the followers come third and he was a prodigy of time living about a hundred years or so after the time of the prophet وسلم, he was a prodigy of his time he was so smart so intelligent that he had acquired a lot of knowledge very early on so imagine a person who has the same level of intelligence a prodigy like is that Zaman Said Nursi he whatever he read he memorized at a, around age 15 he received a comprehensive certification to teach a jaza Mumi to teach at age 15 around age 15 he, he was a prodigy of his time but Ustad Nursi is here saying even if even a person like that who lives in this time and he's including himself Ustad Nursi is including himself in this he cannot attain the same level that Sufyan ibn Uyayna attained in 10 years perhaps in a hundred years why again this is a matter of closeness to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, a matter of closeness to that revolution. This is the nature of all revolutions. When it is first happening, all emotions, all faculties, all senses, all objectives become alert, awakened, and everybody locks their attention and concern and efforts into the revolution the objectives of the revolution of course we are talking about people who accept the purposes of the objectives of the revolution and it shapes everybody everybody everybody becomes excited imagine yourself reading a very exciting novel how you can keep going on and on at night let's say this is at night you it is sleep time but you won't feel sleepy you will keep going on and on and on as if you have a battery that lasts forever that adrenaline that is pumped through your blood that keeps you alive and active and your mind open and absorbing the story and the words and everything and now imagine yourself reading a work of very profound scholarship the benefit that's going to come from that is obviously more but but you won't you will have difficulty having the same level of excitement and you won't have the same amount of adrenaline pumping through your blood and you will start to feel asleep and your eyes will start closing and your mind will filter half of what you read through but not take the rest of it and eventually you will fall asleep or you stop and if it is bedtime you'll go to bed perhaps you will start feeling sleepy and tired even before bedtime now now the difference is that the companions were excited with this revolution with what was going on when they saw the prophet وسلم, they would wait for him to open his blessed mouth and say something so that they would get it is it how we read hadith is it how we learn listen to hadith prophetic traditions ahmed ibn hanbal when he taught hadith he would go take ghusl he would wear the best clothes he would put perfume and then he would sit down and in the most respectful way read the hadith 
the prophetic traditions. Why? Because this was, this was the words of the prophet. Why do we need to ask the question why? This is what deserves most respect after the Quran. They, they were in love with it. Imagine a young man who is in love with a young woman. He will want to see her. He will wait at the, at the, you know, at the corner of the street so that this young woman perhaps comes out and crosses the street and enters another house and he will take a glimpse of that and you know he's going to wait there for two hours and won't, <laughs> won't regret that. This is what our appetites do to us human beings. And imagine the same young man and the same young woman married and they have lived for 40 years and they still love one another. I don't want to make this like a, uh, you know, funny story about, uh, funny story that despises marriage. No, they still love one another. It's a beautiful marriage. They are happy and they are grateful that they got married. But will he have the same level of excitement upon seeing his wife that he that he used to have as a young man who was expecting to to marry this woman but was not there yet and did not know what the consequence was going to be and so on and so forth imagine the level of excitement that the companions of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had imagine their appetite for eternal felicity imagine their appetite excitement when they thought about witnessing the countenance of god in the paradise in the sohba companionship of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in jannatul firdaus al-ala in the in the highest rank highest station of the paradise imagine how eager they were for martyrdom to witness god's countenance imagine the level of excitement that they had to know what pleases the lord imagine how all of their faculties and attention was geared toward this was turned to this it is not only a matter of intelligence and comprehension there may be a person who has the same level of intelligence or perhaps even the a similar level of piety somebody who is really devout and given to religion and who has utmost respect and consideration for religion but that was a time of revolution all of the faculties of all of the believers were active and working together and encouraging one another and if you have gone through a period like this in your life, if you have been among people who are really intensely seeking God's pleasure, even if that was a week, that was a month, that was a year, a brief period of time, you will recognize what I'm talking about here. You will recognize that in that brief period of time in which you are in the company of people who were intensely seeking God's pleasure and were trying to learn what pleases God, you probably learned in that short period of time more than what you can individually do at your home, away from this blessed company, perhaps reading books and etc. You may have the best of intentions and you may be the smartest of people out there, 
but you will not be able to attain the same level of effluence, the same level of overpouring of God's blessings. You will not be able to get the same level of benefit unless you are in the company of individuals in a spiritual realm where you are you have access to that realm and therefore you are still in the company of that intense um, education training but otherwise it doesn't happen the time of the prophet وسلم, was a time when this was happening in the most intense way and when everybody's attention was locked to finding out what pleases God. We cannot reach that. We cannot reach the level of the companions of the Prophet and radiallahu anhum. May God be pleased with all of them. And this is not a matter to be jealous about. I mean, jealousy, envy is a big sin and big sickness, ailment, disaster for human beings. What it means is that we are not pleased with what God wills. And that will immediately put us away from God. They were given this blessing because they were, they were superior. Their spirits had a quality that our spirits do not have at the same level. Everybody is responsible for what they are given. We are responsible for doing the best of what we have at the time that we live. And doing the best of what we have at the time that we live, a part of that is having utmost respect for the companions of the Prophet to whom we owe, we owe the knowledge of our religion, to whom we owe that perfectly preserved, 100% preserved divine book and the traditions of the Prophet ﷺ, those narrations that came to us and that now teach us about the most beloved of God. How could we know about him if it were not for the companions? This is not a matter to have envy about, but it's a matter to have gratitude for. And the more we love the Sahaba, the more we love the companions, the closer we get to the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ loved them and they are our gateways to the Prophet ﷺ. I was hoping to read the second aspect too today, but turns out we are done. Uh, it is almost one hour. Uh, inshallah, we will continue with the second aspect and perhaps the third too, I don't know. In the next time we read the 27th word, if you are benefiting from this again, please pass it on, spread the light. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka anta al-alimul hakim. Wa akhir da'wahum anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen al-fatiha.